progress. Okay, so we're going to pick it up from the um, four lines from the bottom of Kofiutesimid Bays. So just to explain, uh, again, once we get to the Mishas, a lot easier. I just want to just explain what we did yesterday. So you have Reuben and Shimon that are brothers. Uh, Reuben's married to Chana, Shimon's married to Penina. Chana testifies that Reuben's dead. Penina testifies that Shimon's dead. So the halacha is, we believe each of them. The problem is they have to do Yibam, so which means Chana has to do Yibam with Shimon, Penina has to do Yibam with Reuben. But Chana's like, Shimon's dead, and they said, but wait... How do you know that he's dead? Because your sister-in-law testified? Sister-in-laws can't testify about each other. So you have to do yibam with a person who's not alive. So you've got to basically bring proof. Same with the new Penina. So they're both kind of messed up is each other. Is that always like that with yibam? Wow. I mean, you've got two sisters. She can't do yibam because Shimon's dead, but she only knows that Shimon's dead based on the testimony of Penina, and Chana can't rely on Penina's testimony. That's what we had yesterday. Then Rav Lazar had this case. What if, in addition to Reuben and Shimon, there's Levi and Yehuda? Okay. So, Penina does Yibam with Yehuda, Chana does Yibam with Levi. Then Levi dies, and Yehuda dies. So back to the same scenario. So they're like, she's like, well, we're both single now. No. Chana, you have to do Yibam with Shimon. And Penina, you have to do Yibam with Reuben. But you're both dead. How do you know that? Because the other woman says, no good. Comes her Belezer, and Rav Lezer says, no. Once Chana does Yibam, that means Reuven's dead. Therefore, Penina's free, not because of the testimony of Chana, but because of the actions of Chana. Therefore, you understand. So therefore, they're both free. That, that's, that's the basic understanding of Rav Lezer. The Gemara has a different alternative view of Rav Lezer, And that is, perhaps Rav Lezer is not mutter because of what I just told you. I Meaning, if I had ask you, why is Rav Lezer lenient in this scenario? Meaning... Chana is, her husband's dead because she testified, so Reuben's gone. She did Yibam on Levi, he's dead, because he got hit by a car. So now, she's single, but she's like, no, you got to do Yibam with Shimon. She's like, Shimon's dead. How do you know that? But now, it's not because Penina testified, it's because Penina did Yibam. If Penina does Yibam, that means Shimon's dead. So the simple shot is, the reason why Rav Allah is lenient in this scenario is because you're not relying on the testimony of this woman, you're relying on the actions. Meaning it's one thing for the testify, what testimony, why? Because maybe they're lying. Penina's not going to do Yibam with a husband who's alive just to mess over Chana. Like, like, the whole concern, the reason why we don't rely on the testimony of co-wives or sister-in-laws is we think they're lying. But like, Penina would, would do Yibam knowing her husband's alive to back up this lie also, just to mess up Chana? Also, Shimon wouldn't allow. None of this. It's, it's too much. Well, Shimon might not be a Shimon might be overseas, but like Yehuda would, it's too much. Like this is taking too far. Yeah, this, this joke. It's it's like I get it. You don't like her, but like that's Revelazer's take. Or perhaps Revelazer's actually lenient. Maybe Revelazer holds that sister-in-laws can can testify about each other. Maybe he just disagrees with the whole premise. I mean, forget it. You don't need this. You don't need this. Maybe he just believes that you could rely Chana could rely on the testimony of Penina. Penina could rely on the testimony of Chana. That sister-in-laws and co-wives can, uh, can testify about each other. Maybe, maybe that's his view. That's the Gemara's kasha. Bai Rav Olozer. Bai, I'm sorry, Bai Rav. My time to Rav Olozer. What's Rav Olozer's reasoning? Is it Mishum de Kasavet Sarami Idil Chaverta? Is it just Kastam he believes that sister-in-laws and co-wives can testify about each other? By the way, Taisus has a kasha. Taisus says, if that's the case, then why doesn't he argue in the mission of Kufiud Zion? When it says the five women, it should be Rav Olozer disagrees. So Tyson has an answer, fine. But the point is, he disagrees with that case. 
Or perhaps no. He's only lenient because Chana and Penina actually acted on their testimony. And therefore, we don't believe that they would take the, take the lie that far. So it comes in the safer as well. Why is he not? Oh, so, so Gavin's making a very good point, which is if Chana and Penina, if the header is that he just holds that sister in laws can testify about each other, then why did Rav Lazar address the case where they married, they did Yibam? Forget about that. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning, Rabbi Lazar's case is where Chana did Yibam and then the husband died, and then he's like, eh, Rabbi Lazar's like, it's fine. Now, if Rabbi Lazar's heter is based on the fact that they took the, they're not going to take it that far, well, they, exactly, that's the case that he's referring to. But if Rabbi Lazar just disagrees in the whole premise, he just believes that Chana can testify Pernina and for vice versa, we can rely on each other's testimony, then why is he addressing a case of where the husband, where there's Levi and Levi died? Stop. Chana comes in, says Reuben dies. Penina comes in, she says Shimon dies. They're both fine. They both know their husband died, and they know there's no Yibam because they're relying on each other's testimony. So why is Rav Lezer addressing a much more complicated case? That's going to be the Gemara's Raya. Okay? But we'll, we'll, we'll go through it. So the Kasha is, is Rav Lezer's heter based on the fact that he just believes that sister-in-laws can testify for each other? Or is it that he believes, no, they can't testify for each other, but in this scenario where they married outsiders... They actually acted on being widows. Then, then, then we believe them. They're, they're not like, to that far to, to mess up their co-wives or their sister-in-laws. Ad kach. That's too much. So the Gemara says, "Lamay nafkamina." What's the nafkamina? So go to the next page. Let's say you have a, a forget about it. this. Is a lot, much more complicated case. Just stop. Reuben is married to Chana and Penina. They're both co-wives. Easy case. Okay. Chana comes over, Chana comes as Reuben's dead. What's the halacha? Chana's single, Penina's not, right? Because Penina cannot rely on the sister-in-law's testimony. Right? That's the Mishnah we had, I think, two daffim ago. If Rav Lazar believes that the sister-in-laws can rely on each other, then they're both single. If he holds that it's only mutter, if they acted on each other, then it's only mutter if Chana remarries. If Chana marries someone, then Penina's single. Meaning... Our, we said this a couple of ago, that if Chana testifies that Reuben died, so Chana's single, Penina's not. That's what the Tanakama said. Now we're saying Rav disagrees. So, two options as to what he disagrees about. What's the nafkamina? Can Penina be single without Chana remarrying? If they rely on each other's testimony, then yes. But if it's that once Chana acts on it, she marries uh, John, then... Panina's like, then I'm single, because he's not going to go that far. I mean, so can Panina marry, can Panina be single before Chana remarries? That's the nafkamina. Again, it's a similar to, you know, to what we have in Mishnah. A little tricky. If sister-in-laws or co-wives can just testify about, can rely on each other's testimony, then, then Panina's single even without Chana remarrying. But or if the heter is based on the fact that Chana, it's not that we can rely on her testimony, but if she acts on the testimony, then we know she's telling the truth because she's not going to go that far. Then, then Penina is only single once Chana remarries. Before Chana remarries, then then not. Okay. But she's not going to mess herself up. Because when she remarries, she makes herself an Ish. But she gets a green card, so... Oh, so the Gemara is, by the way, the Gemara is going to say, why did the Rabbana disagree? 
This is all Rav Shita. The Rabbanan actually believe a Gavin saying, which is that if you're willing to believe that Penina is willing to lie to mess over Chana, she's willing to also do Yivam, knowing full well she's not allowed to, to mess up Chana, meaning it's Thomas Nafshim Plisha, meaning you're right, the, the Rabbanan actually believe that, that if you're willing to lie, if you're, if you're crazy enough to lie about a living husband, you're crazy enough to also act on it purely to mess over Chana. But the Revelaza just doesn't obviously doesn't doesn't go that far. So the Gemara says Tashima. So the question is, what is Revelaza Shita? Is it just that sister-in-laws and, and co-wives can testify about each other, or is it if they acted on it, then you're relying on their action, not their testimony? So Tashima. The Gemara has, which is exactly what Gavin said, which is that the case of the Mishnah that Rav Lazar jumps on the scene. When does Rav Lazar jump on the scene? Again, the first case of the Mishnah is you have Chana and Penina married to Reuven and Shimon. Chana says Reuven's dead. Penina says Shimon's dead. So they both believe that their husbands died, but they're both stuck because she has to do Yibam with Shimon, and she can't say that Shimon's dead because of Penina's testimony because there's no lie in it. Penina's messed up because of Reuven because she has to do Yibam, but and she can't say that. So that, that was with the Tanakhama. Then the Tanakhama said a second case, which is Chana married Levi, did Yibam on Levi, then he died. Penina didn't marry Yehuda, then he died. And then Ravalaza says, in this case, they're Mutter. Now, if, if Rav Lazar's heter is based on action, this is the first case where there's action. If Rav Lazar's heter is based on that you can rely on the testimony of your sister-in-law, then, then he should argue on the first case. The first case of Chana and Penina, where Chana testifies about Shimon, and Chana is about Reuven, Reuven's dead, Penina should be free. Because she knows there's no even because she's relying on her sister's testimony. I mean, basically, exactly what Gavin said, which is, if Rav Lazar's heter is just based on testimony, why did he have to talk about a much more complicated case? He could have argued on the first case of the Mishnah. So the Gemara answers, not a good raya. It could be he does argue in both cases, so why did he only argue in the second of the Mishnah? He was trying to convince the Rabbanon. The Gemara says, no. Rav Lezer was only addressing the Rabbanon, meaning the Rav Lezer was basically saying like this, I disagree in both cases. But you, I get it. You, 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 don't, you, don't, you don't agree with me in the first case. But in the second case, where they acted on it, you definitely should be moida to me. So the fact that Rav Lazar only argues in the second case is not a riot that he doesn't argue in the first. He really argues in both scenarios, because he really holds the heter is based on the fact that a woman can rely on her sister-in-law's testimony. So why do he only argue in the second? He was saying to the Rabbanon, you should definitely be moida to me in the second case. Meaning, According to me, according to me, Rav Eliezer says, you can rely on your sister-in-law's testimony. So both cases in the Mishnah are going to be fine. Therefore, even in the first case, it's fine. So why did Rav Eliezer only address the second case? He was saying, listen, I get you're not going to go on my side entirely, but in the second case, where Chana and Panina actually acted on their testimony, and they actually married other people, you definitely should be moved to me that, 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 that they're single in that case. Why would a woman listen? That's it's, it's like it's, it's like you said. It's taking it too far. I Meaning, the Rav is saying to the Rabbanu, you should be mighty to me. So, what do the Rabbanu respond? Which is that if people really hate each other, they are willing to go down with the ship. So you're right. If Chan and Penina don't like each other, then Chan and Penina are not only willing to lie; they're willing to marry other people, knowing full well they're not allowed to. 
knowing full well that when the husbands come back, they will be treated as adulterers just to take the other one down. It's a long, it's a long play. Thomas Navshin pushed him. So therefore, we still don't know what the Ravalozer sheet is based on. Tashima. Okay, let's bring another raya. The Brisa says, You have a woman and her husband go to um, go to uh, travel. The woman comes back and says that her husband's dead. So, right? So she's mother. Right? So she's mother to remarry. But the co-wife is also. So far, so good. Yeah, you didn't miss much. So we're trying to bring a second raya for what's Rav Shita. So, so the Gemara now brings this case. You have Chana and Penina both married to Ruven. Chana comes back and says, Ruven's dead. So Chana's single, Penina's not. That's what we've had, because Penina can't rely on the testimony of, of Chana. Comes Rav Lazar, Ravalazar says, because one co-wife is mutter, the other one's mutter. Meaning, clear as day, Ravalazar is saying that my heter is based on the fact that you can rely on the testimony of a co-wife. He's what he says. He says, because Khan is mutter, Pinit is also mutter. So you see that's Ravalazar's shita. So Mara says, no. No, no, you have to add a word. Maybe it's not that Khan is single, so Pinit is single. It's Khan is single and remarried that Pinit is single. So once a woman remarries, then we know that she actually acted on it. Okay. Then where's Akasha? Here, here's the kasha. According to Rabbi Lazar, right, Chan and Penina are co-wives of Reuben. Chana comes back and says, Reuben's dead, so she's single. And then she marries someone. So we said, well, if she's marrying someone, for sure, uh, for sure Penina's single now. Because she wouldn't marry someone if her husband was alive. I, I get it. Maybe she got divorced. She was overseas with him. No one knows what happened. Maybe she is trying to mess over Penina. I, she remarried. She would never hurt herself. You're right. She's divorced. Maybe she got divorced without people knowing. Is it cold? From overseas? Not overseas. I know what she's saying, but, but like, it's possible she got divorced. So she comes in. She's really divorced, but she doesn't tell anybody. And she's just like, yeah, Ruben's dead. He's not dead. And then she marries someone. And like, oh, well, if she married someone, she's obviously telling the truth. No, no, no. She doesn't want to mess herself up. So how did she marry someone? Because she's divorced. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, why aren't we concerned? Like, why is that not part of the concern? She shows up and she testifies and then remarries. And we're like, oh, if she remarries him for sure. She, she must be single. So, Panina, you're free. Why? Maybe she's just divorced. So the answer is, you're right. It only works if she marries a kind. If she marries a Kayan, she's not divorced. You're right. If she marries Yisrael, it's not a good enough raya for Avalazar because maybe she's taka divorced. But if she marries a Kayan, then you know she's not divorced. So then it's... Why do you know she's not divorced? Because a rabbi would, a rabbi would not let... A woman shows up and says that she's a, a widow uh, and her husband... Uh, the, the rabbi would investigate. Interesting. It just goes to show you that people will be more mocked on one thing over the other. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the Gemara says, Maybe she's divorced. Another point is she wouldn't want to hurt herself. Marrying, marrying, uh, marrying the Israel, 
she's willing to do if she's divorced. But she, if she's divorced, I mean, Rebbelezer's basically cheshman is that a woman will lie to mess up her friend, but not actually do anything wrong to mess up her friend for herself. So she'll marry someone, so that means that she's single. Why? Maybe she's really divorced and she's, she's a lottery married. The answer is she's marrying a kind. She would not marry a kain if she was divorced. She wouldn't do that. That, that. that far she wouldn't do. She wouldn't hurt herself in any way. Okay, let's move this away because we're done. We don't need this anymore. I think till the end of the second. Okay, that felt good. There you go. Add a screen. Add a screen. Um, okay, so now we're just going to hear, I think here to the end of the Masechta, we'll be dealing with testifying how much of the body do you have to see. Uh, unfortunately, these halachas are, are negeya um, when it comes to like war, uh, specifically at war. Um, so, okay, a person testifies that they saw someone, so they're going to ask them some questions. There's a certain amount of the body you have to see, because... Uh, a certain amount of the face that you have to see. Because if, if you cover up part of the face, it, it, it's, it's like a different person. So, says the Mishnah, You have to see the whole he- forehead with the nose. Meaning, if, if you just see the lower half of someone's face, not good enough. Even if you see the body, and you see the lower half of someone's face, that's not good enough for you to... Um, you know, let's say there was an execution... God forbid, there's an execution, and they covered up, they were wearing like a mask over the eyes and the nose. You can't testify. Even if you have other simon, not good enough. Okay? Even if there's simon in the body, let's say you see a birthmark, there's a birthmark on the arm, but you're not able to see the full face, no good, not good enough. We'll see why. Also, you can only testify if you actually saw the person pass away. Even if you see him meguyed, uh, meguyed means that he, he has a, a wound that's like a deadly wound. So he was stabbed at a sword. Not good enough. You have to see him die because maybe, the concern is always the second you leave, he got better. Okay? Meguyed, uh, Tzolov is hanging from a gallows. Because um, people could, because the concern is if he's still... A, 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 a puncture wound. The, 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 the deadly wound. They're afraid the second you left, the second you left, yeah, they, they had a quick emergency surgery. Actually, cauterization is the, what the Gemara says they're concerned about. If you cauterize the, the wound. Um, someone hanging, the concern is the second you leave, they cut him down. Obviously, you didn't see him pass away. You saw him uh, still moving. Um, or or a wild animal attacking him. Again, not good enough. Um, you could only testify uh, for three days after the death. After that, the body uh, decomposes and changes, and, and we, we don't rely that it's the same person. Rav Yehuda disagrees. So Yehuda and Baba, the one who, who, who did uh, smicha and was killed, I remember. I think so. Okay. Rehidim Baba says, there's no rule for it. It's not three days because if you're in the sun, it'll decompose quicker than in a refrigerator. So he, he says that you can't give rules because according to the Mishnah, you can only testify for three days. That means if someone's in a morgue, technically after three days, you can't testify anymore. 
Rav Yudam Baba says that's not really fair. It's not you can't give a hard and fast seventy-two hour rule because it just depends on the decomposition of the body. If 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 like I said, it's in a morgue, it could be after a month, it looks exactly the same. Um, again, these sugyas were unfortunately necessary. Listen, they have Zaka and all these organizations. This is what they're asking. Okay, Tanarabonon Pedachas Vilei parts of Ponim the forehead. Just the forehead without the rest of the face, or parts of Ponavle Pedachas, or the rest of the face without a forehead. You need the entire forehead uh, and the face and the nose in, intact. If you're missing part of that, meaning if, if you cover up the forehead, I mean, I now I know what I look like, but, but I guess I can get away. It's like the old, um, it's the old Superman thing, just putting yeah. around the eyes, you don't know who the guy is. The point is, if you just cover up the forehead, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's harder to recognize. The Gemara continues. I like this story. It's just cute. It's like a, it's like a cartoon. It's a great story. who was also Abba I don't. It doesn't say he Rav, but I don't know if he was a Rav or not. Abba Marta, I think I've heard that name before. Abba Marta have a maski be He owed money to the Reish Galusa. So what do you do if you got to get through and you owe someone money? You put on a disguise. So I see Kira Devik Biblisa, Devik Baputa. So he takes wax, puts a cloth on his forehead. He wears like a bandana. Chalaf Kamayi He walked past and they didn't recognize him. Meaning he put on like a costume, so like no one, no one recognized this, so the creditors didn't recognize him. Um, I don't know the halachic uh, permissibility of that, but but uh, but the point is, it just shows you that covering up the forehead, he wore like a bandana on his forehead and then just walked right through. What do we do? With, like, how do we pass him with dental records today? Like how do we not? So Ravavadi has a tshuva. Uh-huh. Ravadia has a tshuva about dental records and DNA, so he has a very lengthy tshuva. He he feels that it's not one hundred percent that he'd rely on it, but he would use it with something else. Meaning he would not um, make an aguna no longer an aguna just based on dental records, but if it's dental records plus, like dental records and you know testimony that he was at the battlefield at that time. It was a tshuva about the Yom Kippur War. Unfortunately, there were many soldiers in the Yom Kippur War that were not identifiable, and they used uh, dental records. I know Ravai Levine famously used uh, the Gros Geirel, Geirel Hagra, because there were ten bodies and ten soldiers. They knew the names, they just couldn't identify who was who. So he did Geirel Hagra, and it came up each time, came a mamish to like Ben Yom and Ben Yosef, and that was like mamish. But Ravadi has a tshuva where he basically goes through dental records and he says that he's not 100% going to rely on it, but he will definitely use it as a very large, uh, you know, because you see over here, it's not, it's not good enough from here. But um, his point is that dental records are, are more accurate than the aegis of a guy who recognized someone, you know what I mean? So Ravadi has a long tshuva about it. Um, no, not to my knowledge. I was reading. Was I reading an article about this recently? DNA. I was reading. I was reading. Maybe I was reading something about it. Uh, I think Rav uh, Rav Avram. Ravadi has a very lengthy show. I saw it years ago. Very very long show about where he goes through it. But I was reading something about it recently. I don't remember. Um, okay. Uh, fine. 
So the Mishnah said that if you don't recognize the face, you can't testify even if you see simonim. Now, Pashta simonim are a birthmark, a mole, like simonim on the body. Not good enough. What do you see? You see that simonim is not good enough. Now, here's a strange thing. Simonim are good enough for, like, Aveda, like yeah. returning a lost object. Like, we do recognize simonims. Like, if simonim are good in some areas of Allah, why are they not good in other areas of Allah? So the Gemara says, Lememra, this teaches you, the simonim that simonim are not biblically recognizable. The problem is, and that's why it's not good enough for an aguna, the problem is, or many, Talacha is that if you find a lost object and it has simonim where it was, you know, chained up over here, you return it. So, so the question is, no, so I'm, I'm sorry, that, by the way, that's not actually about a lost object, that's about, that's about bringing a get. Yeah, so that's bringing a get. So Rashi says, Motsu kosher, maybe get leish of avadi menu. If a woman, uh, if you bring a get and then you lost it and you're able to, you know, identify that that's the get that you lost, it's a kosher get. So you bring a yerushliach and you have a get and then you lost it and then you find it and you give simonim. So you could use it. Why? Because simonim are biblically valid. We don't say that, you know, it's a forgery or we don't say that it's not the same get. So why are simonim good for getting? And not good for uh, for uh, for um, what do you call it? Agunas. So the Gemara says, The answer is it's machlekes tanoim whether simonim are significant. Detanya, you're not able to testify about someone who has a mole. Meaning, if someone has a mole, and you recognize that mole is in the right spot of the body, Rav Lazar says that is not good enough to make her an aguna. To, to free her from being an aguna. And the Rabbonon, he says, no, you could. So, they have a machlaikis whether testifying about a mole is good enough. What's the machlaikis about? It must be the machlaikis is whether simonim on the body are biblically significant. The Tanakama feels that it's not, or Elizabeth Boy feels that it is. So that's the machlaikis O2. So our Mishnah, which says that it's not, is following the Tanakama. That Mishnah by Gitin is following Rav Zabin Boy. Fine. So Gemara says no. The Gemara says no. Amir Rav, the Kuli Alma, Simonim, the Raisa. Everyone believes Simonim are significant biblically. The Machlekes is, there was a thing called the Bengili. I, I don't know what this is nowadays. Bengili was a concept that the Gemara had. That everyone that's born the exact second you are have some characteristics that are similar because of the astrolog- astrological um, similarities. So they, they a lot of times would also like kind of look like each other. It'd be like doppelgangers. So the machlekes is, do they also have the same birthmarks? Meaning it could be that if someone is born at the exact same time, the exact same moment, they might have similar birthmarks. So the, they, so the machlekes over there is not whether simonim are significant. Simonim are significant. The machlekes is whether a mole is significant. Because it could be there are other people that have the same mole as you. Okay. It says Ben Gilai, but the truth is it could be just some. Other people have similar moles in the same spot. Or, um, or uh, 
Or it could be another machlaikis, which is everyone agrees that simonim are significant. They argue about whether moles are significant. Why? It could be there's a machlaikis. Do moles change after you pass away? So, not everything. Teeth. But also, no, it'll take time for the, body, the body's face to change. But the point is, it could be moles change quicker. That's the question, and that's the machlekes. Or Amri, the Or it could be everyone agrees simonim are not significant. The question is like this: It could be everyone agrees that a regular simon is not significant unless it's considered a simon muvik. I'll give you an example: A simon that there are simonim that are listen. We're talking about moles. Moles are on the body. That's like and it's hard to like, and it's not seen by everybody. But you can have all these simonim that are just not significant. Like, oh, what shoes he wore. Uh, you know, he cut his left toe. Like, it's, you know, which could happen to other people as well. So everyone agrees regular simonim are not good. But good simonim are good. The machlegis is the mole, a good simon. Okay. Marisov lapsim. Lahach lishadam rava simonim der aisa. Hakatani avabishiyesh simonim beguvikelov. Oh, if you hold that simonim are significant, according to everybody. So then why in our mission does it say that you can't testify about a person with a simon? So the answer is, Simonim begufoi uvekelov gufoi de'aruch vegutz. The case of the Mishnah where it says you can't rely on Simonim is not talking about a mole. It's talking about how tall he was or how short he was. The reason why that's not a good simon is because if you say a Jew is 5'8", okay, you get hit up, I could throw a dart and hit a Jew who's 5'8". Like that's, that's an incredibly common Meaning, the case of the Mishnah where it says you can't rely on simonim is specifically referring to simonim that are incredibly common, like tall or short. Vague simonim that are not specific to that person. So it could be when the Mishnah says you can't rely on simonim, it's not, it, it means shvach simonim, bad simonim. What's a simon by clothing? Caleb. So the Gemara says, I, why, why, by, why can you not rely on a simon by a kli? The answer is we're worried that someone borrowed the kli. Meaning, okay, let's say there's a simon on that specific cup that you have. Right? Ah, now, you know that simon because it's your cup. If you lend it to me, I will now know that simon. <laughs> so the reason why simonim don't work on kalim, even if they are like specific mamish, is because maybe you lent it to me. Fine. Now, here's the kasha. I never thought about this. The Gemara over here, it's like a, everyone learns bum and see when you're a kid, right? So how do you return a lost object if you're telling me that Right, you simon. Well, if, if every time, if simonim are not good for identifying after death, because right, the the dead guy had a wallet in his pocket. When I was, I, I mentioned the story on, on, on when I was in eighth grade. I had a pocket, I had a wallet that I bought in Brooklyn. Instead of Calvin Klein, it was a GK. GK. It was Galvin Klein because it was a knockoff. Now that would be a it, Galvin Klein. Well, Gavin Klein. Fine, fine. For you, it's Gavin Klein. So. Like, that's a knockoff wallet. That's a specific simon. Yeah. I would be able to probably get that back as a lost object, right? Someone's like, oh, I found the wallet. I'm like, is it GK? They're like, yeah, that's mine. That's very specific. But why? Now, now we have this concept of, like, okay, if there's a dead body with that wallet in his pocket, you can't, can't do it. Why? Because maybe he borrowed the wallet. Well, if he borrowed the wallet, then how do we have a whole concept of returning lost objects? Just like Stam. I get it. By the way, I totally get it. Why you can't 
identify a person based on items, especially during war. Maybe he took it off another soldier, maybe he took it from his friend. I get it. Then how do you ever return a lost object? Why, how do you not know that it was, maybe it was borrowed? So the Gemara says, Oh, the chamor uh, Right, one of the examples in Bamatsiya is that you could return a saddle of a donkey based on Simonim. Maybe he borrowed it from someone else. Maybe I borrowed your saddle from my donkey, but it's really your saddle. And I'm giving Simonim to get the item back. It's not mine. So the answer is, basically the answer is, um, uh, we'll run through some of the examples. The basic answer is, you only return items that people will not lend to each other. Which is a, a, a whole radical change in Bamatsiya. The answer is, you do not return items based on Simonim that people routinely lend to each other. Like a hammer, where you borrow a hammer from your friend, you probably can't return that with Simon. So why a saddle? Because the Gemara says, They will not lend out uh, saddles, because if the saddle doesn't fit your donkey well, if it's not custom-made, it hurts the back of the donkey, and no one will borrow a saddle from each other. Okay. Uh, the example with a get that you rely on Simonim was it was tied... With a, it was it was connected to a wallet, or a kiss, an arneki, or tabas, or a ring. So you see that same thing. Maybe maybe it was borrowed, right? He's like, oh, that's my get because that's on my wallet. How do you know it's my wallet? Because it has a sim. Maybe he borrowed it. Same thing. You return a wallet. You return a you know. How? So the answer is, tabas First of all, no one will ever lend out a ring, because rings were what they used to sign documents. It was the equivalent of giving out your uh, your social security number because if i got gavin's ring or if i got your ring i can now just forge documents left and right the rings back then had like a signet on it even so no one would lend out a ring so if you give a simon on a ring it's yours because no one lent it out um what about a wallet um people were superstitious and they felt that if you lend out a wallet it's going to ruin the juju like you've, you've been doing well like this wallet's been good for you once you lend it to someone it gets his Poor juju on it, it's going to ruin. So people just practically didn't want to lend out wallets. Or, the answer is like this. It could be, erase everything we've been saying. <laughs> right? The Mishnah said that you can't rely on Simonim for a dead body of his, of his items, of his clothing. Why? So the Gemara said, because we're afraid that he, he borrowed it. Well, what about Elam Matthias? Somewhere I said, no, no, forget that. We're actually not concerned about that. So why can't you not rely on the Simonim for the clothing? We're talking about the Simonim were not good. Like, what Simon was it? What color wallet? Like, that's not a good Simon. Oh, brown. Okay. You hit 50% of them. Like, the case of the Mishnah where you can't rely on the Simonim is specifically talking about where the Simonim and the clothing are weak Simonim. If they were good Simonim, we would rely on it and we would not be concerned that you lent it out. Okay. Let us finish up. It's a little dark, Gemara. The Mishnah said that if you see someone who's Meguyed, Meguyed means that he was stabbed, you do not rely, or had a, 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 like a, a, a traumatic wound. You, do not, you cannot testify because uh, maybe he survived. So the Gemara speaks it out. This means that if someone has a deathly wound, he could survive. Or many, I have a contradiction. Adam in the Allah is that a dead body only contaminates when he's dead. If someone's a Meguyid, he has a deathly wound, he does not give off contamination because he's not dead yet. But what does this imply? It doesn't sound like he's going to survive. If you have to tell me that someone who has a deathly wound doesn't give off Tumah, he's not making it. It just means that he doesn't give off Tumah until he dies. 
So you see from that Mishnah that no one survives from a deathly wound. So why does our Mishnah think that you cannot testify? Because you could survive. So the answer is, the answer is it's a machlekas tanayim whether we believe the average person can survive a deathly wound. Now the hard part about this Gemara is because if I were to ask a doctor, can you survive from a deathly wound? He would say, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what, what is deathly yeah, that's the thing also. It's, it's, it was infection and all that stuff. I don't know what the deathly wound means. I'm, I'm not sure what, 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 what are we talking about. But obviously we're talking about like a really traumatic wound. So the Gemara says, it's a machlekistana and whether we think they're going to survive. It's possible they survive. The Tanya, me'idin ala me'guyid, me'idin ala The Tanakama says, you could testify on a death wound because he's definitely going to die. Rishim Rishimbalazar says, no. You could survive if you carterize it. Right? If you take hot metal and just stop the stop the bleeding. Carterizing? Is that what it's called? Carterizing? So if you carterize it, you could survive. So our Mishnah, which says that you could survive, is the sheet of Rashim Lazar that we're worried about carterization. The second you left, they carterized the wound. I umimatz is looking at Rashim Lazar. Is it okay, so our Mishnah is authored by Rashim Lazar. Then go to the next Mishnah. Hakitani Seifa. Maisa be Asia. 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 It was a story in Asia. Crazy. There was someone who went into it's like Jaws. He went into the water. And all they found was his leg. So here's the deal. You can't testify. It's such a strange thing because it's we had this before. I think it's counterintuitive. Someone gave me a puzzling look because either you or Adam, one of you were sitting in that seat. I can't remember. Um, and that is if someone drowns in the ocean, we actually do not rely on that testimony because you can't see the end. Well, and it's the opposite because you're like, if I can't see the end, I have some get out. But like Gemara assumes that if you if it's surrounded by beaches, so you look, no one on the beach, no one on the beach means he's in the water. If you don't see the beaches, maybe he's still swimming. Okay, so you can't rely on the fact that he died from the water. What about the fact that his leg is? I got his leg now. I mean, can he survive a leg wound? Can we testify based on the leg wound? So what does the Mishnah say? It depends. If it's above the knee, uh, is Arkuva thigh? Arkuva is thigh. I think it's thigh. What, what, um, there's an artery right by the thigh that's like a major artery of the body. Um, I don't, it, I don't, it's not the cathartic, but there's a very, very big artery by the thigh. So the Gemara says that if the wound, if the leg is above the knee, meaning so it's including the part of the thigh, then he's, then he's for sure dead. But if it's below the arkuva, I just want to confirm that arkuva is thigh. Knee? Yeah, I'm sorry, because above the knee is part of the thigh. There are very, very big arteries in the thigh. So if it's above the knee... He's for sure dead. Below the knee, he could survive. But wait a minute. If our Mishnah is author of Shimon who says that we're worried about carterization, then even if you found them above the knee, maybe he survived. I, he's in the water. <laughs> so the Gemara says, um, the Gemara says, Shani de Mircha First of all, he's in, he's in the water, so the water ruins the... You can't carterize it after the water. But I guess the concern is maybe he got on a boat without you seeing, and the, they had a carterization... And boom, right away. The answer is, even, even then, even then, the water will ruin it. Okay. Now, so we're saying, according to Hashem Belaza, you could survive a flesh wound, a bad wound, by, by, you know, you could last like an hour, and then they'll carterize it. 
Wait a minute. I saw certain Arab. Arabs are gross. The Shogel Safsira Vigadilagamle, that he took a sword, cut off the leg of his camel, because he's a jerk. And it died instantly. No time for carterization. So you see that a wound will kill you. So Akhar Shimon Allah said you could be carterized, you could survive, not the camel. The answer is, Amr Abaya says that was a weaker camel. Or Rava says, Bisakimu Venus, a different call. You know what Rav says? The case of the mission where you could survive is where the knife was white hot. So as it was stabbing you, it was carterizing as well. Meaning the average wound, you won't survive. But maybe the wound that he had was a hot white sword wound. Okay. Weiter. Um, we'll just go, obviously, the last part, the fun part. Um, attacked by a wild animal. So we said you cannot rely on that. It depends where they're attacking the person. If they're eating the part of the body that is life-threatening, if they're biting on his leg, he'll be fine. Stop crying about it. You know what I mean? Get up. But if he's, if they're, if they're, if the wolves or dogs or bears are eating at his heart and lungs, then he's dead. Okay. Um, if a person, if you saw Shnaim or Rav Shnaim, in the, in the, um, this is the trachea and the esophagus. An animal will not survive. You do shechita, you cut the majority of the trach and the esophagus. The animal will not survive. If a person, if you see a, a person and his trachea and esophagus are cut, you could testify. He's not surviving that. What's interesting is because I don't know, is what kills you this trachea and esophagus or just the cathartic arteries that are on either side of the trachea and esophagus? I'm not really sure. Um, I know that if there's a famous video don't watch it if you're squeamish. But there's a very famous video. Hockey goalies used to not have glass under their neck, and um, there was a there was a, a player that. If you watch hockey players, they have the, the, the they have the helmet, and then there's a piece of plastic that hangs above the neck. That was started because in the early '90s there was a goalie that one of the players got thrown in the air, and his 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 blade cut the carotid artery in the neck. The reason why he survives, by the way, is pool of blood. You know how he survived? Because the medic, on the team medic, was an ex-soldier from Vietnam, and he pinched with his finger, he pinched the carotid artery, and carried him that way to the hospital. And they had emergency, and he survived. So the point is, if you see, I guess if that guy's not around, if you see the, the esophagus and the, uh, uh, the, and the trachea cut, you could testify he's dead. Here's the kasha. Wait a minute. Amy, is this true that a person will not survive... From a trachea and esophagus, that cutting it will automatically kill him. We'll end with this. If a person has the esophagus and the trachea cut, and he mimes to a cipher, write a get, write a get, the halacha is you could write the get. Us, oh, you see, he is alive. The answer is he's alive until he's dead. The, the, Gemara, the, Gemara, answers, the Gemara says, uh, yeah, he's alive now. The point is, he's not going to survive, so he's for sure gonna die. Okay, the cash is nowadays that we have yeah, surgery. Yeah, like, no, no, that he wants his wife to not have to do evil. Uh, uh, there you go. So, so he 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 uh, so he divorces her, 
Um, the point is, it's a valid get. So if it's a valid get, that means that someone's a living. The answer is no, he's living for a few minutes, but then he'll die. Um, by the way, uh, nowadays that we have emergency surgery, I, I don't know how these halachas changed. Okay. Elameata, you're telling me that if you cut the esophagus in the trachea, you're for sure going to die, then then if a person accidentally cuts the trachea and esophagus of another person, he drops the knife and it cuts him, you should have to go to Golis, right? If you tell me, you go to Golis when you accidentally kill somebody. So if you're doing this, it's, it's, it's transitive property. You go to Golis when you accidentally kill somebody. If doing this kills someone, then if you do it accidentally, you should go to Golis. The problem is that's not true. You don't go to Golis because you're not the sole cause of the death. Why? Because maybe he survives. The answer is no. He for sure dies. We're not concerned that he's actually going to survive. So why do you not go to Golis? Because maybe he was going to die in one day, but he freaked out and, he, and his commotion, he made himself die earlier. You only go to Golis if you're the sole cause of death. The Gemara says, We're afraid over there, not that he's not going to die, he's going to die, but we're afraid that being in the wind, the wind causes him to die quicker. Or perhaps by him flying around, fly, you know, moving and freaking out, he causes himself to die. So you don't go to Gullus, not because you can kill him, but because you're not the sole cause of death. What's the difference if the cause of death, if the, hast- the death was hastened based on his actions or wind, uh, if you killed him, if you accidentally cut the wound in a house uh, where the, everything is sealed so there's no wind. Um, so there's no wind concern, but he might have caused it to go quicker. Or you, or you cut it in the field so it's windy, but he didn't move. All right, let's stop here on that note.